Okay, well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. This is the grand finale, this is the big bang of my series on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, part three. And before we actually read from Revelation 14, verse 9, and before we have a prayer, uh, let me just let you know that this morning's message is dealing with the final crisis in the history of the world and how the message of Christ our righteousness is going to become center stage in this crisis. Uh, Whitehorse Media has some resources if you are interested. We have these at our booth, they're also at the ABC, and probably the primary one is a book called God's Last Message, Christ Our Righteousness that I've written that has all this information and a lot more in it. We also have a one hour DVD that summarizes the major issues. It's great for sharing and it's called Earth's Final Crisis, What You Must Know to Survive. Uh, if you would like to keep in touch with Whitehorse Media, I have a, an e-newsletter list that is growing and all you have to do is send an email through your smartphone to sign me up at whitehorsemedia.com. There we go, thank you, it's good for me to see that. And then you can be a part of the Whitehorse Media community. I also have a new associate, uh, Laren Cole, and the two of us have joined forces to preach the word of God and share Jesus' love. And we are both available for speaking appointments in the future as the Lord leads. So, with that introduction, let us read Revelation 14, verses 9 to 12. This is God's third angel's message. And then we'll pray. The Bible says, Revelation 14, verse 9, that the third angel followed them, saying with what kind of a voice? With a loud voice. That's right. If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This is God's last message for the world. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, what an awesome, uh, solemn, and wonderful privilege it is for me to stand before your people again this morning at the ASI convention in Michigan and to share your word. And we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come down from heaven. We don't want this just to be uh, people listening to me, to man. We pray that the voice of God will be heard from your throne, through me, through your word, to your people. Lord God, please bless us and may Jesus again, as always, be lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, I am assuming that most of you here are Seventh-day Adventists, but that may not be the case with everybody. Uh, there may be some of you who are just checking out Adventists, which happens quite a bit, and just for 
the benefit of those who may not be members of our church, I want you to know that you are about to hear, you are about to hear a Seventh-day Adventist perspective on the end of the world, on the final issues that are going to hit this planet as predicted in Bible prophecy before the return of Jesus Christ. Seventh-day Adventists believe, as many Protestants used to believe, that when the Bible refers to the beast in Revelation 14, verse 9, if any man worships the beast, that the beast is a symbol of the Roman church. Uh, there's a lot of other denominations that used to believe that. We still believe that. At least most of us do. Uh, it's called the historic Protestant understanding of prophecy. Uh, we do not believe that this symbol refers to people, individual people, who many are going to be in the kingdom of God. Uh, the Lord loves all of us, whatever denomination we're part of. But we do believe that this is a symbol referring to a system. And when you study scripture and when you study history and the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, it's very clear that the Roman church has gone on public record as stating that they have changed the Bible Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day of the week, from Saturday to Sunday. This is uh, common knowledge. They say it in their catechisms and in many, many public statements. And we believe that one of these days, this changing of the Bible Sabbath into Sunday will become what the Bible refers to as the mark of the beast. It is a mark of Rome's authority. And they believe that they are the true church, and they say that, look, if we weren't the true church, we wouldn't have had the power to change the commandments of God. And they've done that. They've taken the commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which points to the creator of heaven and earth, and they have changed that into the first day of the week, into, into Sunday. And there's a lot of history behind this we don't have time to go into right now, but we believe that one of these days this change is going to be enforced by law around the world, and then the whole planet will have a final opportunity to make a final choice between Jesus Christ and the Bible or the beast. Now the big question, or one of the questions we'll ask this morning is, is this even remotely possible? Uh, is this just a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, strange idea, crazy idea that really can never actually happen? Can Sunday ever actually be enforced by law? Well, I have a lot of information on this and I don't have a lot of time this morning. I only have so much time, so I'm just going to distill this information uh, in a short, short time. Here's an article that came out just about a month ago, July 5, 2014, Associated Press. It's received quite a lot of buzz and chatter uh, within our church and in other places. And there's the headline, it's an Associated Press piece that Pope Francis uh, has gone on record once again promoting Sunday observance, and the title there of the article is that uh, is no work on Sundays is good, not just for the faithful. Uh, the Catholic Church believes that Sunday should be kept around the world by not just Christians, but by everybody, and they also have gone on record in their primary catechism as saying that Christians should seek for recognition of Sunday by the state. So they certainly are in favor of Sunday observance. Here's an article in that came out of Fox News uh, not too long ago, and the headline there is, Let's Make Sunday a Day of Rest for God's Sake. 
And there are other articles that I could show you simply showing that the issue is being discussed. Uh, Sunday observance is once again coming up into the public spotlight. And I expect that this is going to continue and increase in the near future. Now, I'd like to share with you what I consider to be the most important lessons from the day that the towers came down in New York City. Uh, I, I'm sure we all remember that day. It's crystal clear in my mind, you know, I have seen those images played over and over and over and over and over again on TV, as I, I imagine most of you have. Uh, it was a shocking day, and I'm not going to get into it, you know, I know there's some debate in some circles about who actually brought those towers down. Uh, that is not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is the lessons that we can learn from that event. How many of you remember what day those towers came crashing down? What day of the week? Okay, just tell me. Somebody just tell me. It was a Tuesday, right. That's right. It was a Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday, a crisis hit our world. Tuesday, something unexpected came out of a clear blue sky and the ripple effect went around the planet. When you hit the financial nerve center of the most powerful nation upon earth, in spite of its problems, the potential for an economic ripple effect was very, very real. And people were very scared. Uh, three days later, a big event took place in Washington, D.C. at the National Cathedral. And it was a, a big gathering, and every living president was there. There were Republicans there, uh, Catholics were there, Protestants there, Democrats were there, politicians. It was just a packed house, and I watched it on television. There was an imam on the platform representing the Muslim community. There was a rabbi representing the Jewish community. Billy Graham was there representing the Protestant community. A cardinal was there representing the Catholic community. And the whole focus of this event, basically it was a church service that was designed to bring the world's religions together for prayer. And I certainly believe in prayer. But I watched that, I watched the service, and I thought to myself, wow, crisis hit on Tuesday, and here just three days later, you have this big move for unity among the world's religions. Now, what happened two days later? What day was two days later? It was a Sunday. Did anything significant happen on the Sunday following the Friday, following the Tuesday, when the towers came down? The answer is yes, something very significant. And what happened was church attendance on the Sunday after September 11 went through the roof all around the world not just in North America even in Australia uh, even in Europe people were flocking to church to pray and again I believe in prayer but I just you know I watched the scenario and the, the thought impressed me deeply and that was that a crisis was followed by unity which was followed by Sunday lots of people going to church now, we all know that when the stock market went down and they stopped trading on the New York Stock Exchange because they didn't want the Dow to go down to a dollar to bring, you know, the economies of the world into a spiral, uh, we know that eventually trading started again and little by little uh, there's been somewhat of a recovery since that time and that the crisis that hit this planet has not continued to unravel yet and that we still have some time, we still have some time, but not much, not much. 
Uh, there is a scripture in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 1, that tells us that one of these days, a big crisis is coming, much bigger than what happened uh, so many years ago. The Bible says that eventually this whole planet is, is going to move into a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And what is going to be uh, some of the catalysts that are going to bring this planet into the final crisis, I'm not a prophet, I can't say for sure. Uh, it might be a series of terrorist attacks. I don't know. It might be something to do, to do with the economy. Uh, there might be a major uh, collapse of one or more of the world's economies. It might be a series of natural disasters that, hit, that just hit one after another. I do know that our world is in big trouble. Secular people know that, that we are heading for a crisis. Things are very, very fragile. What happened on September 11 just happened, you know, overnight. It happened very unexpectedly, very quickly. And the Bible says that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. And one of these days, the final crisis is going to hit. And in an hour of desperation, we're going to see the same basic sequence as we saw during the week of September 11. We're going to see a crisis. We're going to see a move for unity. And we're going to see people flocking to church. Flocking to church. And as the crisis deepens, and we don't get out of it this time, or during that final time, eventually, Sunday attendance around the world will shift to Sunday legislation. Sunday legislation during an hour of desperation in one final global attempt to try to get humanity back to church, back to God, to pray to God that he will do something in the middle of this terrible situation. That is a scenario that is very, very possible. Now here's a quotation from the book The Great Controversy. Now look at this. It says, heretofore, or before that time comes, those who have presented the truths of the third angel's message have often been regarded as mere alarmists. Their predictions that religious intolerance would gain control in the United States, that church and state would unite to persecute those who keep the commandments of God, have been, re have been pronounced as groundless and absurd. That's what many people think, you know, that what I just shared with you, they just think it's impossible. It has been confidently declared that this land, America, could never become other than what it has been, the defender of religious freedom. The idea of church and state coming together and Sunday being enforced by law, people say this, is just, this just can't happen in the land of the free and the home of the brave. But now notice the, the last section here in this quote. It says, but as the question of enforcing Sunday observance is widely agitated, and we're seeing some of that right now, and it's coming, and it's going to get bigger. And as the event, so long doubted and disbelieved, is seen to be approaching, and I expect that we're going to be seeing this on Fox News. We're going to be seeing this on CNN, and ABC, and NBC, and all over the major networks, they are going to be discussing this topic in a crisis. And this statement says that as this is starting to happen, and it's being widely agitated, and the event so long doubted and disbelieved is seen to be approaching, then the third angel's message will produce an effect which it could not have had before. The day of Pentecost produced an effect through the power of the Holy Spirit because an event had just occurred. The biggest event in the history of the world and that event 
was the life, death, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that event and the apostles preaching, especially Peter on the day of Pentecost, and saying, brothers and sisters, this just happened. Bible prophecy has been fulfilled right in front of your eyes. There was a power, the power of the Holy Spirit that worked through the preaching of the apostles. And it's going to be the same thing at the end of time. When there is an event that happens right in front of the world, I tell you, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come with, with tremendous influence. The book of Revelation, chapter 18, verse 1, says an angel is going to come down from heaven having great power. And the whole earth is going to be lightened with his glory. And then it continues on with a very strong message during a final crisis. When this time comes, it will be time for the third angel's message to be preached with a loud voice like never before. God is going to turn on his power in an incredible way for those who have been prepared to receive it. When that time finally comes, as the Bible says in Revelation 14 verse 12, the Bible says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. God's law is going to be lifted up. It's going to be lifted up higher and higher and higher. It's going to be lifted up on the radio, on television, on the internet. It's, people are going to be going door to door. They're going to be sharing tracts. They're going to be giving Bible studies. Uh, they, this, is going to, this is going to get the attention of the news. Seventh-day Adventists are, are a pretty small people in comparison to, to the rest of the world. But I tell you, when the crisis comes and God has a small group of people who stand up and who give this message and who lift up the Ten Commandments all around the world and who talk about the first, the second, the third, and the fourth commandment that talks about the seventh day, I tell you, the, the eyes of the world is going to suddenly shift to this small group of people. It's going to be an amazing time. The people that are ready for this event. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just like three Jews in Babylon, in Daniel chapter, uh, chapter 3. When everybody else bowed down to the image of King Nebuchadnezzar, and they were breaking the second commandment, which says do not bow down to idols, these three Jews stood up and stood out like three sore thumbs. And they just knew in their minds they can't bow down because this is breaking God's law. And what's going to happen is God is going to have, just like three Jews, he's going to have three angels, three angel people that are going to rise up. And when everybody's going one way, they're going to take a stand and go the other way. And the whole world is going to be looking at them just like everybody looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I tell you, when those three men finally got thrown into the fire, Nebuchadnezzar thought, I'll get rid of them. He threw them into the fire, and when he looked into that fire and saw not just three, but four, and the fourth one looked like the Son of God, I tell you, that was an amazing moment. And then he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. Come out of that fire. And I thought about this. If I would have been one of those men, I think I would have stayed there for quite a while. Because, man, I have a chance to talk to Jesus. He's come down himself into the fire to be with me. So maybe they had quite a conversation for a while, but when those three men finally walked out of that fire, I tell you, the whole kingdom of Babylon was staring at them. At least those that were there. They were staring at these three men. This was one of the greatest witnessing opportunities in the history of the world. Everybody was looking at three men. 
And the same thing is going to happen at the end. When the crisis hits, when the move to unity takes place, when Sunday attendance shifts to Sunday legislation in an hour of desperation, God's going to have a people who take a stand and who give a message and the whole world is going to be looking at them. And I believe that's probably one of the major ways that God's going to finish his work. He's going to finish his work through a small group of people and through them he's going to speak to his planet one last time. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. I want to be part of that, don't you? I want to be on God's side, don't you? Well, anyway, uh, not only are they going to tell <coughs> the world, take a close look at the law of God, and really, you know, this is the issue, or at least half of the issue, is right here. Uh, the mark of the beast is an issue that is eventually going to become very, very clear to the entire world, at least to those who are willing to listen. And God wrote his law with his own finger on stone, very, very clear, so people can see. And, they're gonna, and God's people are going to show people that, look, Sunday observance, even though maybe many people's intentions are right, it's just not the right day. It's just the wrong day. God says the seventh day is his Sabbath, not the first day of the week. And not only that, but it's Sunday legislation is wrong because God never forces people to make a choice. He gives people freedom to choose one way or the other. But it's not just the fourth commandment that people have broken. It's the fifth and the sixth and the first and the ninth and the tenth. All of these commandments have been broken again and again and again and are being broken by the world. And when that final time comes, we studied yesterday that Romans chapter 3 verse 19 says that in the light of God's law, the whole world, it says every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so during the final crisis, the Holy Spirit is going to be convicting people that you've broken God's law, and it's not just enough to tell people to switch days. Changing from one day to another uh, is part of the process, but it's not enough. Because when the world has broken God's law and is guilty, and as Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, we read this yesterday, by the law is the knowledge of sin, God is going to be using his people and through the revelation of the Ten Commandments to convict the world that they have sinned, that they are under sin in the sight of God. They've broken all of his commandments. And not only that, but in the light of the third angel, it says that judgment is coming. The just judgment of God. I refer to it as the just wrath of God is about to fall on sin. And those that hold on to sin, sinners will reap what they have sown. And it's going to be an awful, uh, awesome moment for the majority of the world. And people are going to be convicted. Now let me ask you, when somebody is convicted that they have broken God's law, the first, the fourth, all, all of the commandments, when the Holy Spirit brings this home to people's hearts and says, you're, you're a sinner, you're a lawbreaker in the sight of, of heaven in the sight of God. This is his pure law, his good law, his righteous law, his loving law, and people have violated this, and they're guilty before him. Then my question to you is, then what? When a person discovers that they are a sinner, in the sight of the Lord, then what? Who do they need more than ever before during the final crisis in the history of the world? Who will people need more than ever before? The answer to that is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And my conviction based on all my study is when this final crisis hits and the world's attention is stirred by this small group of people that the Holy Spirit is using to get their attention one last time and they are convicted of God's commandments rather than man's traditions, then the need is going to deepen. The Holy Spirit is going to come deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and he's going to convict people that they need a savior. They need a savior like never before. And in that context, I tell you, Jesus Christ is going to be lifted up higher and higher and higher and higher. And the eyes of the world, at least those that are open, are going to be directed to Jesus. And they're going to, be, they're going to discover that Jesus came down here, that Jesus became a man, that Jesus uh, was born in Bethlehem, that Jesus lived a life where he kept those commandments, every single one of them, that Jesus uh, became, as the Bible says, our righteousness in the sight of God. That Jesus, not only did he do that for you and for me, keeping the Sabbath and all the commandments perfectly, but Jesus also, at the end of that life, did the unthinkable. The unthinkable. He gathered to his mind and to his heart the sins of the entire world. Every single sin that anybody has ever committed in their lives was somehow mysteriously transferred into Jesus' heart, into his mind. And he made, he wrestled with that decision and he said, Father, if there's any way to take this cup from me, please take it. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The third angel's message warns that those who get the mark of the beast will drink the wine of the wrath of God that is poured into a cup. That's what the book of Revelation says. Poured into a cup. And people are going to learn to their amazement that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ drank that cup. That very cup of the wrath of God and sin and God's just judgment against evil. It was part of the royal plan. He took our justice so he could extend his mercy. He took what we deserve so we could get what he deserves. And these issues are going to become very, very clear during the final crisis. And people are going to look at the cross. They're going to look at Jesus Christ and his righteousness. They're going to see him as the only solution to the sin of the world. And I want to say that again. He is the only solution to the sin of the world. There is no other solution other than Jesus. And Jesus is going to offer people, he's going to offer them full forgiveness for every sin. He's going to offer them the pure white robe of his righteousness to cover them, to clothe them, to cover all their sins. And he's going to offer them the special power of the Holy Spirit to come into their souls, to come into their hearts, to come into their minds, to change them, to get them out of sin and to take that law which God wrote with his own finger on stone and that finger is going to write the law in people's hearts. Because they're going to be so moved by the suffering and the grace and the agony of Jesus for them that the finger that wrote the law, that finger was on a hand that was nailed to a cross. And that finger wants to write that law in the hearts of his people.
And those who hear the message, those who respond, those whose hearts are open, are going to give their whole lives to Jesus. And by the grace and the power of God, they're going to take their stand and they're going to become commandment keepers in the final hours. Commandment keepers. They're going to be among those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Romans 5, 9 is a very powerful text. And it says, being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Some people, uh, Ellen White was once asked, what do you think about this message that these men are preaching? Jones and Wagner. And her response was, it is the third angel's message in verity. And how is justification by faith the third angel's message in verity? It's very simple. Revelation 14 describes the wrath of God falling upon the world. And the only way that anybody can get out from underneath that just judgment of the Almighty is through faith in Jesus Christ and in his blood. And so being justified by his blood, Romans 5.9 says we shall be saved from wrath through him. Romans 5.9 is going to take uh, center stage as well during the final, the final crisis. We've read this yesterday. We're told in the spirit of prophecy, sixth volume of the testimonies, page 19, that the message of Christ's righteousness is to sound from one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way of the Lord. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel. And I want to say also, it's not just going to be a message that is preached. It is going to be a message that is lived. It's going to be revealed in people's lives. As the whole world is falling apart and is in a state of crisis, God is going to have a people who stand up and who stick out and who, who go through that crisis through the power of Jesus in a similar way as Jesus went through the final scenes in his own life, from Gethsemane to the uh, betrayal by Judas and the denial by Peter and the trial under Pontius Pilate when the, when the religious leaders pressured the state to put Jesus to death and all of the forsaking of Christ that went on among the disciples and him standing before Herod, standing before Pilate, and in the middle of all of this, Jesus was calm, he was at peace, and he revealed the love of his Father and his own love in a way that had never been witnessed ever by any, uh, any human being ever. It was right there, the demonstration in the life of Jesus. And Jesus wants to duplicate that as much as possible through his people. He wants to be in his people. And he wants his light and his love and his goodness and his patience and his power and his compassion to be revealed through a people like never before in the middle of a final crisis. Wow, what a revelation. Uh, we're told in the writings of Ellen White that when that time finally comes, Satan is going to look at those people and they are going to be impregnable to all of his assaults. And he is going to be just so stumped by them. Ellen White says that he's going to look at them and he's going to see them as an incomprehensible mystery. He cannot fathom how the weakest of the weak, the most degenerate generation of all, a group of, of sinners, 
Sinners with sinful natures, fallen natures, can be so transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and his love and his righteousness that they will not sin. They will not yield to his temptations. And he's going to look at them and he's just going to be stumped. How is this possible? And I believe he's going to look into the eyes of God's people and he's going to recognize his ancient enemy. He's going to recognize Jesus Christ himself is working through the lives of this final group of Seventh-day Adventists and other people who join this group at the very end of time. What a calling that we have as a people to be part of this final demonstration. And when that time finally comes and humanity is spoken to by God through his people one last time, then people are going to have a chance to make a final decision. Whose side are they on? Whose side are they on? They can choose, they can choose Jesus and his righteousness. They can choose his law. They can choose his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, his offer of eternal salvation. They can be sealed in their foreheads and take a stand on the side of God, God Almighty, or they can choose the beast. They can choose breaking his law, breaking God's law. They can choose Sunday instead of Sabbath, which is just like the two trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life. At the end, there'll be the two, the two days, and people will make a choice, whose side are they on? And those that make the wrong choice, who choose the beast, and breaking God's law, they will be choosing the mark of the beast, which in its final analysis, really, if you study the character of the beast, the beast thinks it can change God's law. The beast has a big mouth speaking great things. The beast is a proud organization, the Bible says. And those that choose to go along with it and to continue to do those very things, ultimately, they are getting the mark of the beast's character inside their souls. That's really what the mark of the beast is. It's the mark of the beast's character inside of them. They're choosing in their foreheads to go the same direction. And God will look at their minds and he will say, he will know that they have received the mark of the beast inside of their souls. But God will have a people that don't do that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God wants us to say with our whole hearts right now that there's no way that I want that kind of a stamp on my character. No way. Uh, I want to make some critical observations right here, and that is, that is this, that if we expect to tell the world during the final crisis that we need to be keeping God's commandments through our faith in Jesus, you know, if we're going to try to lift up this law in the final crisis of the world, brothers and sisters, we need to be keeping it. We cannot be part of the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit where we are telling the world about the importance of the law of God if we are breaking it. It just can't happen. And if we're going to stand up for God's law in the final crisis, we need to be standing up for God's law before the final crisis hits. We need to be keeping it now. Uh, somebody once said, I think it was Elder Frizee, an old saint who died, he said, crisis does not, uh, 
how does he say it? Crisis does not create character, it only reveals it. It simply reveals the kind of character that we have. And that's what the crisis is going to do. It's going to make manifest whose side people are on. And I also want to say that we cannot afford to have any skeletons in our closets. We can't go into that final crisis with certain things, you know, that we're holding on to and hiding that the rest of the world doesn't see, that even our, our families don't see. You know, we just can't. God sees. God knows what's happening in our minds. He knows what's happening in our hearts. And he wants us. He, we're in a cleansing time. We're in a purification time. We're in a time when God is preparing people for the final crisis and for the end of the world. We are in a time where God is trying to give people victory over sin now. And I want to be part of that. That's my goal. Lord, cleanse my soul. As I stand before people, as I preach, as I teach, as I write, as I travel, all the things that I do, I, I'm on my knees a lot and I'm saying, Lord, help me to be pure. Help me to be clean. Help me to do the right thing. Help me to be honest. Help me to be humble. Help me to be true. Help me to hold on to your message. Help me not to compromise. Please, dear God, because I can't do it by myself. I need Jesus and so do you. I need his righteousness to clothe me and to fill me and to empower me to do what's right in the middle of a world that's falling apart because of sin. When everybody has made their final choice, as you see on the screen, one side or the other, then the doors of heaven will close. Jesus' ministry in the sanctuary will come to an end. The time of cleansing, the time of offering of grace and forgiveness and salvation to the whole world will come to an end. And the Bible says in Revelation 16 that the seven last plagues, the wine of the wrath of God, will fall upon those that get the mark of the beast. Those who have that mark in their souls. But those that have chosen Jesus, those who have chosen his righteousness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his power, those who have become commandment keepers through faith in Christ, they will be protected during that final storm, protected all the way, and they will be ready for his glorious return. Hallelujah. It'll be the greatest airlift in the history of humanity when Jesus comes down, when he leaves the sanctuary. He comes down from heaven with all the angels and the sky cracks open and the mountains sink and the islands disappear and the whole planet shakes. In the middle of all of that crisis is going to be the jewels of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world will see them as the scum of the earth, but Jesus will see them as his precious jewels. And he's going to be saying, just hold on, hold on. I'm on the way. I'm coming down. Hallelujah. He's going to come down and he's going to get his people and bring us up to a glory that we can't even possibly imagine. And that is very, very real. Very real. That is what Jesus is going to do for his final people. He's going to get them out of here and take them up to a place that we can't even begin 
to imagine. If we are among this people, as Revelation 14:12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That's our calling, is to be among this people, to take a stand. You know, it's not easy to take a stand. There are issues that we're facing, and we have to take a stand for what's right. We have to reject what's wrong. We have to choose Jesus and the Bible and the truth. I heard a story that came out of the Korean War. My dad was in the Korean War. Thankfully, he came out of it in the 1950s. Uh, if he wouldn't have come out of it, I wouldn't have been born in 1959. Anyway, the story is told that during the Korean War, there was a group of communist soldiers that swept down from North Korea, went into South Korea, and took captive a small village. And as they took this little village captive, uh, they invaded it. They, they found a Christian church in that village. And they gathered up the Christians, and they put them inside that church. And they took a picture, they found a picture of Jesus, and they pasted it on the outside of the church, on the door. And then they wanted to test the resolve of the Christians. So they put them in there and they commanded them to come out of that church one by one and to spit on the picture of Jesus Christ. And if they didn't spit on it, they would be shot dead on the spot. And so the first Christian walked out of that church. And he stood there and he looked at the rifles pointing right at his, right at his face. And uh, he believed in Jesus. You know, he wanted to do what's right, at least part of him, a lot of him. But he just wasn't ready for this. He wasn't ready for this. It happened too fast. Just like Peter. You know, Peter denied Jesus. It all happened so fast. And he stood before the rifles, and he didn't want to die. He had a family. And so, reluctantly, he walked over to that picture, and he spit on it, and they let him go. The second Christian walked out of that church and looked at the rifles pointing to his head. And he didn't want to do it either. He believed in Jesus, but he just, he wasn't ready for this. He wasn't ready to die for his Lord. And so he walked over and he spit on the picture and they let him go. The third Christian walked out of that church. He believed in Jesus, but he wasn't ready for this. He wasn't ready to put his life on the line for his Lord. And so reluctantly, he walked over and he spit on the picture of Jesus and they let him go. The fourth Christian to walk out of that church was a young girl, about 14 years old, wearing a dress. And this girl walked out and looked at the rifles, looking right at her, pointed right at her, at her head. And she knew what she was going to do. She was like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I tell you, they made a decision before that crisis hit that they would not compromise. And they knew what to do in that crisis. They told Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, God is able to deliver us. But we want you to know that even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down to your image. And so this girl looked at the rifles and then she walked over to the picture of Jesus. And she saw that, that uh, spit dripping down. 
and she decided to take her sleeve and she walked over and she wiped the spit off of that picture in front of those communist soldiers. And then she walked back over to the front of that church and she stood there. And she looked up and she prayed a prayer. Something like this. I don't know exactly what she said, but she said something like this. Jesus, dear Jesus, you love me. You died for me. You gave your life for me. And Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to die for you. And then she closed her eyes and she waited for those bullets. And she waited. And she waited. And she waited. And you know what? Those bullets, they never came. They never came. Those communist soldiers, even though they despised Christianity, they were so moved by the courage of this young girl that they got into a little huddle and they discussed this. They discussed this. And then they decided on a different course of action. They, they gathered up the three Christians, professed Christians, who had spit on the picture of Jesus. They gathered those three and they lined them up against a wall and they shot them dead. They shot them dead. And they let the girl go. They let her go because she had the courage, she had the guts to stand up for what she believed. Get the point? I'm sure you do. And I apply it to myself as well. May God help us as a people, as Seventh-day Adventists, and anyone else who's hearing this message. This is not from man, this is from the Bible. This is from the Bible. May God help us to stand up for Jesus in the current crisis and in the future crisis because we love him. He gave his life for us. He did everything for us. He did everything for you. He did everything for me. Jesus wants us bad. He wants us. And our hope is him and his righteousness and his grace and his power and his love inside of us. And he wants us to take a stand for him, no matter what that stand may cost. And may God help us, and you know, he's going to be with us just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. I would rather be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. What do you say? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to kneel. You're welcome to kneel if you'd like. And let's pray. Let's pray that God will help us. That he'll use us. He'll work through us in these final hours. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we've had together here at the ASI convention in Michigan. Thank you for making your message crystal clear to us. And Lord, I pray we pray together that you will forgive us for our sins, that you will place your white robe of righteousness around us, that you will come in to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that you'll write that law in our hearts, your law of love, and that that law will be practically revealed through us, 
not just in our words, but in our actions, toward others, toward the needy, toward people that need our help uh, in all kinds of different ways. Lord Jesus, please live your life through us in these last days and get us ready for the crisis. So when the crisis hits, we know what to do. We know what to do. We know what to say. We know your plan for your world in the final, the final crisis. Lord, we pray above all that you'll come soon. Get us out of here. This is a sinful world full of trials and problems. And we just pray, Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Come soon and take us home, we pray, so we can be with you forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. This has been wonderful. <laughs> I am so happy. Have a great day. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.